Welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy to have you with me today. Today, I have Kirsten Hobbs, and Kirsten graduated with a degree in marriage, family, and human development three weeks before her oldest son was born. She also has now four sons, and they are ages 18, 15, 13, and 8. And the oldest three are autistic, and her youngest is actually neurotypical. Kirsten has always planned to go back for a master's uh, when her youngest was in first grade, but that plan is still far from her radar as her boys' challenges still dominate nearly every waking moment, but she has no regrets. Kirsten is more certain than ever that her family has been given these experiences so she can go on to support other families, reform broken systems, and share hope with people who have felt as hopeless as she has sometimes felt throughout her journey. Kirsten, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for uh, this opportunity. I am so grateful to be here. I first learned about you several years ago from your sister-in-law, my good friend, Lori. And I have just been so excited about the things we have in common and the work that you provide. I've learned so much from. So, And also, just this is really special to be able to talk about our family. I feel like we're living some really kind of unique circumstances. So I'm so grateful for the chance to share. I'm just happy that you said yes and that you you jumped you jumped with both feet because this I can, did. <laughs> it can be a little intimidating to talk about our stories. Sometimes we want to represent our children in a positive light and so sometimes it can be a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> it's complicated so, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I and especially I I know they're going to hear it. Right. And so I'm Mm -hmm. like, I want to make sure that they're happy with what I share. But we Mm -hmm. we try to be very, very open about everything, you know, and talk about things as they are the Mm -hmm. good and the hard and and the controversial. So that sounds like our family. happy to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Good. So, Kirsten, I just want to jump in and ask you to tell me about your four boys. Yes. Okay. so the they are very very unique. There's some things that they have in common, but ultimately they are very unique. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they all were diagnosed a little bit older. So I'll kind of walk you through that journey. Mm -hmm. First of all, our oldest son, Elliot, who's 18 now, um, from the moment he was born, he was going for it. I mean, he, (laughs) he literally would not crawl. He was so angry as this little baby because he just wanted to get on his feet and he ran before he walked. Like he would get on his feet and run to the other side of the room because he was just going for it and just absolutely determined, wanted to be out, wanted to be everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. Kind of a lot of opposite things that you wouldn't expect from hearing of a young autistic child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, as the years went on, um, like when he was age two, we really started to notice these just intense, intense patterns. And mm-hmm. he, even, oh, we, even when he was one, um, I remember taking him to Target and he had just learned to walk and he's walking around. And I just thought, I wonder how far he'll go. Cause he doesn't have any stranger danger. He doesn't care if I'm here or not. <laughs> and I followed him for over 20 minutes and he didn't wow. look back. He didn't care that I was nowhere to be seen. He was just going for it. Um, mm-hmm. And he, same thing. If we try to go to play at playgrounds or play places, he just wanted to wander. He just wanted to go and see what else he could find. And then in terms of the rituals, he needed to have a certain diaper. Like we had, mm-hmm. we got diapers that had three different patterns on them. 
And if he didn't have the Mickey Mouse diapers, it was screaming. It was terror. Mm -hmm. It was, he wanted the Mickey Mouse diapers and that was it. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with his outfits. He had this one outfit that we called the space suit and all he wanted to wear morning and night, every day, it became such an issue. We had to like put it in a box in the closet (laughs) to keep for our memory but it was like, you can't even let him see it anymore. And then he just, he was so obsessive about things. And when he was three, he'd memorized the whole step in time dance from Mary Poppins. And he wanted to watch the same things over and over and over. He loved Thomas the train, but it wasn't playing with the trains. It was memorizing the names. So he liked to watch the beginning and he liked to say the names. And then he just wanted to have this collection and go through and have them organized in certain ways. So that was little boy, little boy, Elliot. But as he got older, you know, we just started to see this incredible inflexibility, just Mm. intense inflexibility, being Mm -hmm. stuck on things. And it really just caused a lot of challenges for him, social things too. So just recognizing body language, even in elementary school, he just would go and jump on his friends and they'd get kind of mad at him. You know, he would just take them to the ground or he'd, be doing certain things to mess with them and they'd be getting mad at him and he didn't care. He'd keep doing it. And Mm -hmm. just as the years went on, he just had more and more challenges with friendships. He really, really struggled in school. Come to find out in fifth grade that he was highly, highly gifted, but he Mm -hmm. was always getting really poor grades. But then he'd go home and he had the presidents memorized, like in Mm -hmm. order when Mm -hmm. he was five years old. (laughs) His brain was kind of amazing, (laughs) but he didn't want to do what his teachers were telling him to do. Um, He didn't want to finish things if he wasn't interested. Anyway, that kind of that kind of describes his theme. And it just has gotten more and more intense as he's gotten older to the point in high school. There was a year that he was taking AP chemistry and he took that as a sophomore and got an A minus in it. At the very same time, he was taking band and he got a C in band because Mm -hmm. he would not turn in his practice logs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He kind Mm -hmm. of had a grudge against the teacher and would not do the teacher (laughs) system. Or the time that he wrote his own study guide, you know, he got two D's in a row on this really, on these two big uh, history tests. And Mm -hmm. I'm just, Elliot, what is going on? Did you not study? And he pulls out the study guide and I quizzed him from the study guide, knows it inside and out. So Mm -hmm. I contact the teacher, what's going on? He knows the study guide. And the teacher said, no, he does not. He doesn't know my study guide. I gave them a study guide and he made his own. He won't do my study guide. He made his own study guide. (laughs) And the teacher showed me, he's like, the study guide is the test. It's all I do. It's straight from the study guide. But Elliot would not, wouldn't do the study guide for whatever reason. So Mm -hmm. these are just kind of the things that you're just scratching your head. He also had very, very severe anxiety. So he started to see a child therapist when he was in fourth grade um, to deal with phobias. He, it got mm. to the point that we couldn't leave anywhere because he was mm-hmm. so afraid of dogs. doesn't matter mm. if it's a fluffy little dog, like the size of a hamster. He yeah. terrified. We couldn't go to the park. He wouldn't go to birthday parties if people had a dog and just really extreme fears and mm-hmm. nothing helped. So around the time he was around 11, when he'd been doing a couple years of therapy and we started medication with him, which mm-hmm. was life-changing. Um, mm-hmm. That's really, really helped his anxieties and it's helped with his flexibility and mood too. Mm-hmm. 
That's you know, really so he'd good. been he'd been diagnosed with mood dysregulation and mm-hmm. some of these other things that we've come to find out are all huge symptoms of autism. He was diagnosed at the age of 17. And the reason why we pursued diagnoses with him is because we had just gone through the process with his younger brothers. And after mm-hmm. doing this, we were just like, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, he's got it. Mm-hmm. He's got it too. But his is a little harder to see. It's a little more mm-hmm. nuanced than the others. So he's 18. So he was he diagnosed is. a year ago. He was. And some, and some people are like, well, why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why would sure. you do that? And my number one thing is for his wife, you know, <laughs> yeah. to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. Yeah. I'm like, you know, as the years go on and. Also for himself, I, yeah. I think a diagnosis of autism is an incredible gift mm-hmm. because instead of saying these things have bothered me, why do I do this? Why do mm-hmm. I act this way? Why am I making my own life harder for myself? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's nice to be able to look at it and say, this is, this is a brain development yes. thing. This is something you came with. This is developmental. Yes. And um, I think that's comforting. So I do too. for his own peace of mind and um, for his own ability to get to research and find help. And I just think it's a powerful tool and something mm-hmm. to be aware of and keep working on. Well, I think that's smart. I always there and many people I've, I've interviewed many people on here who weren't diagnosed until their twenties or thirties. Mm-hmm. And so, and they found, they found a lot of peace in their diagnosis as well, because it helped them understand themselves better. Yes. So yes. I think that the age, wherever it is, it's, it's great to have that open door to understanding. I think that was wise. So you have, now we know you have three, three of your four boys are yes. neurodivergent. They are autistic. So yes. tell me, so your son, your oldest son was 17. And then you had the next youngest son. He's three years younger. And then okay. he was, he went through the process much earlier. The place we mm-hmm. ended up going was almost a two year wait. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we got Elliot on the waiting list when he was 15 and miles, my, the number two, um, he got on the waiting list when he was about 12 and then he was diagnosed when he was 14. Okay. So it was kind of a process. Um, mm-hmm. Miles, I pegged for Asperger's when he was two. He mm-hmm. had much more clear symptoms. He had really severe sensory challenges mm-hmm. and some really major anxiety. And I'll tell you, I used to be a really strong believer, you know, with nature versus nurture debate. There was a time <laughs> that I felt <laughs> like nurture, you know, we've got the power that if we will nurture in the right way and <laughs> if we will do what the parenting books teach us, mm-hmm. you know, then everything will work out. But man, having that second child and from day one, their nature was so different where Mm -hmm. Elliot wanted to constantly go, go, go. Miles never wanted to leave the house. Mm -hmm. He was terrified of people. He was terrified of he, and I mean, significantly, even at age two, age three, we would go to a doctor's appointment for a brother and he would flip out and not leave the waiting room. And I, at times Mm -hmm. had to literally pick up my other kids and take them to the car and buckle them in and go back for miles because I couldn't Mm -hmm. carry everybody. And he would just drop. It happened in an airport. We almost missed our flight. He just would drop to the ground and freeze that the airplane thing was age six. So you can't just pick him up. (laughs) I mean, 
that was his thing. He was in so many ways, the exact opposite of Elliot. So really different, different challenges for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then yes. And then the youngest, he had some very different cha- we for him the labels of ODD were being thrown around when he was like 4 years old okay he tell us what that away. is it's so it's oppositional defiant uh-huh. disorder and yes. most uh, psychologists psychiatrists they don't even want to touch that word mm-hmm. because it can have a really negative connotation Mm-hmm. Um, but he had all of the markers. He had no fear of danger, just constantly up on the roof. He could get into any lock you could ever imagine. <laughs> we have so many pictures of him running down the road naked because he liked to strip his clothes <laughs> all the time. So uh-huh. he'd be like, and he just escaped all the time. He was the mm-hmm. kid that we had to have locks. He'd bounce, balance three things on top of each other and get the locks down. So, I mean, at age three, it was like a little Houdini. He really was and is. So that was a whole (laughs) nother and just the destruction and just holes in the wall and breaking Mm -hmm. things and painting all over the carpet and constant. Mm -hmm. I got to a point where I just didn't care what he pulled out every single day. He'd pull out every single thing in the kitchen and he would dump flour and he would And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, if it wasn't in a locked room, it was out. We just had to survive that way. You Mm -hmm. know, it sounds, maybe it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it it is a big deal. (laughs) Kirsten, something that you said, I want to go back to it, but because I think it's important to touch on this, you talked about nurture versus nature. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I do think that's important for other parents to hear because we oftentimes think as you were saying, you did, if I just love them and do all the right things that these parenting books are telling me to do, my child will be behave in situations where I need them to behave. They will use great manners at all times. They will, you know, we have these thoughts. A lot mm-hmm. of them come before we ever have kids, right? <laughs> our kids, uh, yeah. <laughs> our kids teach us that we, we didn't know as much about parenting as we thought we knew. So I think that what we learn is that our children come along and their brains are wired differently. And I think we learn, you know what, I actually don't have as much control as I thought I did. And some of the things that I thought were important, maybe they're not as important because I need to focus on my child's well-being and Mm -hmm. I need to focus on where they're at and meeting their needs and it will look different. And I might be in the middle of an airport where my six-year-old is having a meltdown and I might just have to say to myself, this is going to be, I can't care what anyone else in this airport thinks because I just have to focus on my child and what do I need to do to help my child be okay in this moment. And I, I, I think for me, I've experienced that. My oldest daughter is autistic and she's 19 and I experienced it often enough that as I've had other neurodivergent children come along mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. years, I've just kind of said, I can't care about that. And I don't mean it to be disrespectful or dismissive of other people, but if I cared about it, I would drown. Because everyone has their thoughts and I can't run around dispelling other parents' thoughts. I just have to focus on my child and their needs. And I wonder if that rings true for you. Oh, my. I'd say probably that's been the hardest thing for me, partly because of 
I wanted to be a therapist from the time I was a teenager. I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I loved every class I took. I loved child development. I just, I ate it up and I had such strength, such strong belief in it. Partly because I believed it would help my children if I was a better parent, but also that is definitely how I saw myself and my own success. Like this was, Mm -hmm. my son was born three weeks after I got my college degree because that's what I wanted. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be a mom. I wanted to be a full-time mom. That's just what I, that was the most important thing for me. Mm -hmm. And so feel, I felt like a constant failure when I was doing these things and they were not working and So not only did I feel a lot of shame from other people Mm -hmm. and got the stares and the judgment all the time, even from Mm -hmm. good friends, family members, and they give you advice Mm -hmm. and that advice does not work. And um, you can tell that they think you're not doing this parenting thing very well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like you have no idea the calculations happening in my brain about when I respond and when I choose not to, or Mm -hmm. the nuance of how I phrased what I, (laughs) it is different. It is divergent Mm -hmm. parenting. Um, And that has been very, very hard to cope with. I've had therapists that have really helped me through that learning Mm -hmm. to um, be gentle on myself and more confident in what I'm doing to, Mm -hmm. for years, it was just more research, more research will give me the answers. And I've Mm -hmm. really had to learn that research is great. I'm so grateful to learn it and hear other stories, but I have to take a significant amount of time being still and working with my kids and practicing and seeing what works and what blows up. The word from the outside would be defiant. You know, that's the Mm -hmm. word that they tossed around about a lot of these kids, even my Mm -hmm oldest who made his own study guide, you know, why would somebody do that? But it's this incredible strength and independence. That's how I've come to see it. I'm like these kids, they would have signed the declaration of independence in bold ink, you know, like that's what (laughs) kind of people Mm -hmm. they are and they are strong. And I have had to learn to respect that strength and Mm -hmm. learn to work with that strength um, Mm -hmm. and not let it make me feel like I'm a failure or that my kids are a failure. I actually have come to believe it's the exact opposite. (laughs) I think I'm an incredible parent and I think my kids are absolutely incredible, but we are not mainstream. I'll say that Mm -hmm. we are not mainstream. (laughs) You know, we're not mainstream either. And I just, I'm connecting with what you're saying because I've experienced many of those same emotions. And I think that it's really healthy that you sought out help for yourself because Mm -hmm. I didn't do that for a lot of years Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand. I didn't even know what to talk about because my, my daughter wasn't diagnosed and neither was my son. And now my youngest, she has an ADHD diagnosis, but it's still neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. Her brain is still different and unique. And she's, she's so smart. And also what I'd call sassy. Oh (laughs) So, but I, but I, I guess what I'm saying is it is different and our families do function Mm -hmm. differently and they look a little different, but different, beautiful. It can be so beautiful. And I, this leads me to ask you, because like you, I also have one child who is neurotypical. And I want to know what that experience has been like, what this experience has been like for your neurotypical son. And he's your youngest, correct? Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. And there was a five-year gap. It took us 
older boys are all a little under three years apart. And then it mm-hmm. took five years to have the guts to think, okay, okay, <laughs> like, are we going to do this? But mm-hmm. yeah, so he's a little bit of, um, there's a good gap there and he is the youngest. So what has it been like for your youngest son? Does he talk to you about it? Ooh, we talk a lot. This is just what he knows. So I don't think he's in a position to really feel like, oh, this is different because this is this has kind of been his life. I feel like someday it's really going to hit him how different things really are. But for him, Mm -hmm. he literally grew up in waiting rooms. Mm -hmm. I always love taking my kids to parks. And we learned that my kids don't love parks as much as they like creeks and mud. So we were always at the (laughs) creek. We were always out and um story times and all these things but casper boy he was in waiting rooms as we went to ot and as we went to therapy because long before my kids were diagnosed with autism they were being treated for ocd Mm -hmm. anxiety adhd Mm -hmm. mood dysregulation disorder those are the four things that we were getting help for and really severe Mm -hmm. sensory processing disorders as well all which all four of my kids do have very very intense sensory needs. So he just, that's just what it was for him. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting with me in the school meetings and the IEP. (laughs) That's just kind of what his life was like. And Mm -hmm. we're experiencing a lot of things with him for the first time, like having regular play dates and playing with cars and dressing up and having stories with his cars rather than just building crazy tracks for the cars. Like he actually wants to play with the cars and tell stories Mm -hmm. about them. Um, (laughs) But one of the things I've seen, I feel like it's really to this point affected him extremely negatively, to be honest, uh, just because there's been so much, our family, there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of anger. And I've come to learn a lot of this has come from autism. You know, these are autism issues that they haven't Mm -hmm. been getting support for Mm -hmm. and that they haven't been getting help with. We now have swings in our living room because that's Mm -hmm. the only place we have a spot for them. But we've learned that they need certain things. They need medication. And medication Mm -hmm. has been a really, really long journey of knowing what is right. What's the right fit for them? And he has had the brunt of it and he has some really severe anger issues. Mm-hmm. He can be extremely destructive. And uh, I have to say, I did not sense that in his nature mm-hmm. as like zero to four years old. And the mm-hmm. things that you hear him say <laughs> that you're just kind of like, oh, I'm sorry for, you know, and um, yes. Uh, when he was two, he started holding his stools and he still has it, has trouble with that. He, mm-hmm. that's a control issue. We've come to learn. It's almost like mm-hmm. can be similar to anorexia and some of these other um, types of OCD, these control mm-hmm. behaviors to this day, he holds his stools and we've taken mm-hmm. him to trauma therapy. He's been through, um, several different sessions and graduated and then had to go back (laughs) to these trauma-informed therapies and play Mm -hmm. therapies from the time that he was four, just kind of getting help with things that he's seen. We've had some scary things. One of my children who happens to be my, I have to say my sweetest and most sensitive has been arrested at the age of 11 because Mm -hmm. we'll be driving places and he's so scared and panicked. He tries to jump out of the car. And when you call the police for help, it turns out that they call it reckless endangerment and arrest him and charge him with a felony. This is a true story. I mean, we've had some crazy things. That's really um, traumatic. 
Extremely, extremely. Mm -hmm. And so where's my brother? What's going on with this? And, and just Mm -hmm. the way that his brothers butt heads, you know, yes, we have four boys in our home. They're going to, they're going to have their things. They're going to clash. They're going to butt heads, but not to this degree. And when you've got hypersensitivities on this side and then someone over there who is making repetitive sounds Mm -hmm. and repetitive movements, you get violence, you get Mm -hmm. destruction, you get, um, some kind of scary things. Mm -hmm. And so he's really been affected by that, but he's also seen, I don't think he understands either how mind blowingly incredible his brothers are. Mm -hmm. Their talents and gifts are off the charts, you know, Mm -hmm. which you see with autism. Mm -hmm. You also see it with dyslexia. You see these incredible overcompensations in these other areas and just Mm -hmm. a different way that, um, that the brain works. And so he's also been exposed to incredible things um, that mm-hmm. his brothers can do. His eight, My 18 year old, he makes his own origami paper out of special glues and, and special tissues, papers and layers. And he makes these incredible things. And so Casper also from a very young age, he's interested in origami and he's interested mm-hmm. in memorizing fascinating things and had some unique experiences because our family, we do rock hunting instead of going to the beach or, you know what I mean? We do different activities than a lot of families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, he's a very eclectic little child, (laughs) but I, and, and also his brothers, when he does have friends over, it has been really hard because his brothers don't like having people in the house. Sure. It's you something know, new and someone new and that can they don't be like really disruptive yeah. for them. Extremely. And so they mm-hmm. can be really negative toward him and his friends. They want the friends to leave. They're uncomfortable with what's happening. And so that's, that's hard for him too. And he's had some hard times with having friends wanting to come play or their parents letting them come play <laughs> because, oh, sure. because their child was felt to fe- was made to feel extremely uncomfortable here. So, you know, those are, those are some of the negative things, but mm-hmm. at this point in his life, I'd say there's been a lot more negative than positive with what okay. he's been exposed to and experienced, but mm-hmm. I am really optimistic about his future and for mm-hmm. the kind of compassion he's going to have as even as he starts getting into 10, 11, and he starts to really recognize who his brothers are and what their challenges have been. Mm-hmm. I think he's just going to be blown away and forever yes. compassionate and drawn towards, you know, this mm-hmm. neurodivergence because of how incredible it is and how and how hard it can be. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I want to add something to that. And I want to add to your hope because Thank my you. son, <laughs> my son, who is neurotypical, he's 17. And so he kind Ooh. of falls in the middle of, of the siblings. He's not the youngest and he is incredibly compassionate. Exactly what Ooh. you said. And there have been times where we've come across other families who have neurodivergent children and there are other kids there who are put off by that or intimidated. And my son, my 17 year old, it doesn't, it doesn't even phase him. And he's so kind and so genuine with kids wherever they may fall on the spectrum, whether they're neurotypical or neurodivergent, he's just kind And this is something I think he learned 
because of his childhood and because of the experiences that he had. And some of them weren't always pretty. Like you said, there were some really intense, really ugly moments that he experienced that just broke my mom's heart. And I also knew that his sibling that was experiencing those things, I knew they weren't enjoying it either. It was just something that they were experiencing and it came out in, I would have to say in a negative way. I, I hate to call it negative because they, they're not really able to control that necessarily when they're in it, but it does have a negative effect. And so on those, yes, it's the effect that's negative. That's mm -hmm. the thing you come to see that like, that's, that's the reality of this. It's not, um, it's not comforting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's mm -hmm. different than depression, which we've dealt with that a little bit too, but there's nothing like the anger and the mm -hmm. anger almost always comes from fear and discomfort mm -hmm. in my kids' situation. So you have to, I've come to just really appreciate how incredibly they're little warriors. I'm just like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, the things that they do that other peers are doing for them, it is so much more challenging in ways that people just wouldn't know the sensory sure. challenges, the discomfort and fear and the breaking up of routine, mm -hmm. you know, holidays, birthdays, uh, vacations, things that for most people, these are their best memories. Those are yes. some of our worst, <laughs> you yes. know, this yes. is when things absolutely break apart. And mm -hmm. so when you recognize why it's happening, you know, mm -hmm. there's no blame there. I don't think anyone's trying to do something wrong, right. but the result is, is scary and hurtful and, and sad. But as he gains perspective on where it has come from, mm -hmm. and as he learns to find his own coping and is able to grow out of some of the these control issues that he's developed because of it, mm -hmm. um, I see absolute depth and positivity for him and for the people that he will spend time with. They're going to be yeah. lucky to know a guy like him. So they will, they yeah. will. And you know, there are things, this was tricky for me when all my kids were younger, but I always felt like I needed to carve time out just for him because yes. he needed to have my undivided attention too. And that was tricky because there were so many intense needs happening in the house. And I, over time, what I've learned to do is I just go sit in his room with him. And sometimes I'm just sitting at his computer desk in his chair and I'll just say, Hey, I'm just hanging out. If you want to talk great, but otherwise I'm just here. And I, and I just sit in there and oftentimes it turns into a conversation and we find ways to connect and, and I, I love that, but I've just tried to find even 20 minutes a day where it is just the two of us. And I think that has made a difference for him. It certainly has for me. I wish it was more, but right. it doesn't always work that way. We have to take it where we can get it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I, 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 that was another great advice. Dr. Stephen Lassen in Kansas City will forever be... <laughs> I will go to my grave quoting our incredible doctor. And that's one of the things that um, he said that is so important, you know, to have time for myself, but also individual time with the kids and mm -hmm. Casper. Absolutely. Just reading together, going on walks together. Mm -hmm. He loves that. And I'll just take it a little farther with our family where I've mentioned, you know, vacations and holidays can be pretty tricky. We have really learned that separating is often the answer for us at this stage yes. of our lives. Yes. So even just recently, um, my husband took him on a special trip 
just the two of them, they went mm-hmm. to Legoland, not the rest of us. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, years ago when my husband had a bunch of frequent flyer points and we thought about trips, we decided instead to just have him take each of the boys on a special trip individually to their own place. And that's sad for me, honestly, that sure. when we have tried to do, I, I just want to be together. I want mm-hmm. to play games together. Mm-hmm. I want to do things together. But a lot of times this time in our life, you know, and we are making progress. We're finding things that, oh, we can do this game for 20 minutes. But mm-hmm. a lot of times it's, hey, Casper, do you want to play this? Hey, Graham, would you want to play? It's a one-on-one thing. And that mm-hmm. does work really beautifully for us. No, it is. And I and I think we have to shed the guilt that we could potentially carry around because of how our family functions differently. I think we just have to get rid of that guilt and come to a place of acceptance where we say, you know what, this is how our family functions. And we're all mm-hmm. doing the darn best that we can. Mm-hmm. And I think that has to be okay. So this leads me to my last Mm -hmm. question for you, which is what would you tell other parents who are at the beginning of their child's autism journey? Okay, so my first two thoughts are no matter how intensely their symptoms have affected your life Mm -hmm. and no matter how old they are at the time, it applies to everybody that a diagnosis is something to be so grateful for. I just Mm -hmm. believe it is a gift. It is a resource and a tool. I like to tell my oldest son because he struggles just so you know, my, my middle two, they are very comfortable and open about the autism diagnosis. Mm -hmm. 18 year old. No, he is not comfortable with it. And so that's one thing that's going to be tricky for you, but working with your child and with your own self and your family, just helping them see this is a gift this hasn't changed anything about my child. Nothing has Mm -hmm. changed whatsoever. All I have now is this tool and this clue as to what we can do to find better resources and Mm -hmm. to find comfort and to find other people that we can connect with. So it's a gift. It's, it's a, it's a special, it's a special tool that you now have as a parent. You know, people say you wish you had a parenting handbook and that kind of is a parenting handbook. Here you go. This can set you on a path of, of learning, which will lead to growth and comfort. And that, I guess that's the second point is just that look at it as a framework. This is, this is the stepping stone. You know, this is the stepping stone to so much more, so much more growth and depth and understanding. And then just to embrace being open about it, talk about it, get comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the best advice. I, one of the best advice from incredible Dr. Lassen, but he's like, the more information, the better, whether it's the people you go to sure. church with, or the camp that your child is going to go to or whatever it is, talk to them about it, share, um, because it can be so misunderstood. And this discomfort and inflexibility can look a lot like defiance and disobedience. Let people know about it and let people Mm -hmm. know maybe some of the whys for the behavior that they're seeing and also what will help and what will be a trigger. (laughs) You know, we don't do anybody a service by keeping this a secret. Yeah, especially where with my kids, where it's it's harder to see and recognize, it's important to to be open about it and embrace it and focus on the amazing gifts because boy, 
I've probably mentioned more negative today, but I could go on and on about how incredible these brains are. Oh, get to know the other people who have autism. We're talking about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Thomas Jefferson and Jerry Seinfeld and Emily Dickinson and Tesla, Nikolai Tesla. There's these incredible minds. Temple Mm -hmm. Grandin, who's alive right now. We once drove Mm -hmm. four hours to hear her speak because we Mm -hmm. are big fans of Temple Grandin. (laughs) Get to know the gifts. Mm -hmm. Get to know the gifts and focus on those, but get help for what's hard because Mm -hmm. it is hard. So, and it it can be really lonely. I feel like you've shared so much wisdom here. I I don't know that I could have shared anything better. And I just really, (laughs) I want to tell you, Kirsten, how much I appreciate you coming on here with me and being vulnerable and willing to share these things that are tender in our hearts. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much. Thank you. This is, it really is a gift. I think talking about it is, is an absolute gift. Somebody who's willing to listen. Mm -hmm. And I know other people who are so happy to listen because I love to listen to things like this and hear from other people. So I'm so, so grateful for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. For those of you that are listening, you can also follow me on Instagram at navigating.the.spectrum. We'll see you next week.